Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. It's Roscoe here, your co-host, and I'm just taking a moment to announce this week's episode. We have a very special guest. It is the one and only Chris Smith. Chris, you might recognize his name. You'll certainly recognize his face. One of the more recognizable media personalities in Australia, longstanding Meyer ambassador, an ambassador for a number of brands that he works with. We know him as the family man and the everyday golfer, just like you and I. Today in this episode, Chris has given us a great amount of time and a great deal of insight into his golf background, into some of the challenges that he faces on the golf course, and even a lot more around his life and and how it all revolves around family, golf, his work. And really for me, it was just a a real pleasure to sit down and have the opportunity to sit in and lug into Jamie and Chris talk. They've known each other for a long time and are very good friends. So it was a real pleasure to help co-host this episode and bring it to you. Chris Smith, talking about life, love and golf. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. The show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Chris Smith down here in Melbourne, as am I. Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast for the first time and hopefully maybe not the, the last time. How are you, sir? Um, as well as can be, Roscoe. It's, uh, as you know well yourself, it's a little bit of an uphill fight, isn't it, down here in Melbourne? But that's all right. We have dreams and people will live vicariously through and one of them is pictured below me on this podcast with a, an extremely smug grin on his face. And I know he can't wait to expose his day so far. Well, so... We can only, Jamie. Yeah, can only be talking about the one and only Jamie Glazer sitting up there in the sunny <laughs> Gold Coast, as always, uh, digitally opposite us. And uh, Jamie, how are you, mate? You well? Oh, mate, I'm fantastic. Uh, <laughs> just been out for a morning walk on the beach, and uh, no, I'm very, I'm very well. And it's a little bit of payback, really, um, for Smithy because a few days ago he was at Barn Bugle playing uh, the beautiful courses there and sending me photos and basically spamming my life here on the Gold Coast, and uh, so I just felt like him going back to lockdown was a bit of karma and something that I am thoroughly enjoying. Chris, we'll, we'll talk about the Barnburgle experience in, during the podcast mm. because, as our listeners know, I've recently had my first experience to Barnburgle in March, and it left an indelible imprint on my golfing mind, as I th- hopefully, and I think it did on yours. But today, I guess we want to unpack your love of golf and, I guess, sharing some of your experiences from a, a mental mastery perspective on how golf affects your life, uh, how your life affects your golf, and, and just sharing, you know, I guess that breadth and, and depth of experience that you've had as someone who, you know, let's be honest, you've got your gear off in front of people before, but you stand on a front tee, and I want to know what happens to you when you stand on the first tee in front of a, a whole load of people, and I'm wondering if they're different. So, Jamie, you know, you might take off and ask Chris a few questions, but you know, I think this is going to be a great uh, chat to see the two sides of Chris Smith and very much so the golfing side. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when I sort of asked me the other day to jump on the podcast, it was more around, originally it was more around his trip to Barn Boogle and, 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 and that sort of thing, but then when I started to think about it more, I, I felt like there were, there were going to be some great layers to this to this discussion. You know, Smithy being a, a rugby player, a professional sort of, you know, elite athlete in the past. And then, as you say, walks down runways in his jocks and um, uh, has a passion for golf. And uh, I know that golf sometimes in the past has really 
just had a, a challenging effect on really successful people. They can do amazing things in their in their sphere of success, and they come to golf, and it's just a whole different different thing. And I've you know been lucky enough to play a bunch of golf with Smitty, and um, uh, there's a certain element of his of his mindset and mental performance that I really admire. And just wanted to unpack a little bit of that. Yes, I've seen him you know nervous on a first tee of a pro am when I was caddying for him, and. Uh, um, and probably didn't bring his uh, his best to, to that to that sort of shot. But I want to unpack, you know, his journey of golf and, and all that sort of stuff. So, mate, how long have you been playing the game for? I actually didn't really play a, a proper full round of golf until I entered Australia. And I've been here, what, 13 years in December? Yeah. Um, now, in terms of consistency through my golfing life, it's been very on and off. I've got three children, which obviously impact the amount of golf that you can play. I've got... Uh, <clears throat> a work life that used to fly me overseas interstate a lot, which again would impact my golf life. And, and of course I had my younger years where golf was a bit of fun, but so was going out and drinking and, and being with the boys and, and enjoying that kind of circuit and that kind of scene. But I think the older I've got now, golf has become like a real pivotal part of my life. I understand it as such a great mental game, which yet I still have not mastered by any way, shape or form. Uh, but also in a wonderful form of exercise. And my recent trip to Barn Bugle really shown how golf can really bring people together randomly. I was on the final day, I was playing at, um, at Barn Bugle Dunes. And I went down there by myself because three of my mates should have flown out from Melbourne on the Thursday to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It was on an 8 p.m. flight. We got locked down at 2 p.m. They couldn't make it. And this, of course, was a trip to Barn Bugle, which was rescheduled from February, which again was locked down by COVID. So these lads um, have, have been longing throughout this long, really tedious lockdown for one thing, to play golf in Barn Bugle. That's all they've had their mind on. Nothing else has really mattered. We've had a, a group chat that's been going on forever and ever and ever. And... It's just been the levels of excitement have just quickly, quickly, very and very steadily grown towards this trip that sadly those boys couldn't get on, but I was already there. So I, I think my love for golf is really amplified by a lot of other people's love for golf. And through, through these horrible times of COVID, it's been the one thing that's really got people through. You know, we've had golf back on the TV, which is great. We've had golf, uh, which we can play every now and again, which has really brought a lot of people together. And just walking down to the driver range at Barbugle Dunes, I was prepared to play golf by myself as I had for the last five days. I played 36 holes a day, every day. I'd go out in the morning, I'd have some lunch, and I'd go back out in the afternoon. I was in complete heaven. And three lovely young lads from uh, Launceston saw that I was hitting balls by myself. Didn't have a clue who I was. Saw I was hitting balls by myself. Just said, hey, we've got a fourth spot here, if you like. Um... And, and I joined in with those boys and we had such a good laugh and beers afterwards. And, right, so golf has been a, a massive impact on my life. And now later on in my years, it's playing more and more of a pivotal role in, in where I want to go and what I want to become. My, my question, pretty... oh, sorry, go on, I'll, I'll, um, Chris, my question, you know, having just been to Barnburg on myself and, yeah. you know, it's been a fair build-up. You could say if you've never been to Barnburg before, you know, all you do and if you're in golf, you hear about other people's golf trips. Like your mates, you know, they have the anticipation of going. So you build it up. It's one of the most built-up golf experiences I've had. And having played in Ireland and Scotland and America and all that round, as you have, um, this was 
one of them more, more built up. So there was a fair degree for me of anticipation and getting there and getting onto that first tee. What was it like for you in a you know, performance, anxiety, uh, you know, anticipation perspective when you jump on that first tee for the first time at Barnbugle Dunes? It was, uh, it was absolutely wonderful. I played there. The first day we got there, it was 45-kilometre winds. Normally, being a fair-weather golfer, Roscoe, I would quite happily turn around and go and sit back in the band until that either dropped or, or I got too drunk to play. But I, I was at one of the most magical places on earth, and you feel the vibe of the whole area from walking through the doors, from driving up the driveway. It's, it's absolutely magical. I, I don't think it's like, for me, I don't think there's another golf course I've played, which, like yourself, has been a, a fair few great ones that have had the vibe that I've had from Bam Bugle. And the wonderful welcoming feeling about it. It's all levels of golfers. As I watched who were teeing off before me, there's some great golfers that drive down the middle uh, and a couple of others that, that, that actually missed the fairway and, and teed up again. But the vibe that I got from the whole course, it's just so welcoming and so visually appealing in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. It felt like there's, there's no other place like it. And walking up to the first tee was... I, I didn't necessarily feel nerves, which was quite unusual. Mm. Uh, even at my home course at Eastern, I can go in the driving range and hit balls for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and be striping them. And I took the short walk to the first team. It's like that never happened, and I can't combine the two. Uh, but to add to my complications, I suppose, of Bam Bugle, I'd just taken the wrapper off my brand-new Sim 2 driver, which I'd never hit before. The plastic was still on. <laughs> I literally picked. I literally picked it up 15 minutes before getting in my car to go to the airport. It, it was. Uh, it was. It was a surprise addition. I was. I was expected to wait a couple of months for this driver to arrive. Um, but the guys, Aaron at TaylorMade, rang me up and said, "Look, I think I can get it to you before you go. So come and pick it up." And I did. And I stepped up and I took the plastic off. Uh, and into a beautiful wind, I just unleashed it and I just. My, my nerves <clears throat> were pretty much transitioning into excitement as opposed to a nervous disposition. Mm. So That's awesome. Uh, can, I, can I ask another yeah. one more question? Because, yeah, Barnbugle yeah. Dunes, you go down the first hole, fairly gentle, second hole, somewhat gentle, and then you get to that third hole, and I don't know if you remember it, but you're teeing up high and you've got the big dune on the right, and it really does call for a shot to be made. You know, and it's the first yeah. sort of shot that you have to really think about. Did that sort of change your mindset about, oh, jeepers weepers, I'm here to play golf now and I've got to actually do something different? Did that, did, how did that affect? Because I know what it felt like for me. What was it like for you? Mm. I think, look, over the years, Roscoe, I've kind of learned not to mix up ambition and ability. Right. I, I'm fully aware of my golfing capabilities right now and I've kind of softly pushed my ego aside and alert to embrace what I'm actually capable of. So that's probably been one of the biggest blessings I've ever had coming through a golfing career. And I remember that. I remember that tee box really well. And I just felt no real pressure, even though I'm playing with people that I don't know. And normally I would like to showcase how far I can hit the ball, how well I can hit the ball. There's always something in my DNA that's a competitive streak. And I would always like to showcase all of that. But I just felt so relaxed and so happy about my, my time there at Bambugal Dunes. What I was pre-warned about from a guy I was speaking to in a bar the night before was the fourth tee, where you're confronted with what they call Jaws, one of the biggest bunkers you'll ever see. It's, uh, I think it's a 275-meter 
par four. Yeah, it's a little par four. It's it's the the one with the big bunker that you see everyone either getting in and taking a photo or going in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and somebody says, what are you going to do? So the boys who've played there before, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to leave here the same way I leave every other course with no question unanswered. And I pulled out the driver, which I'd hit probably... About, about 20, 26, 27 times. And I teed it up and I launched one right down to the left side of the green. And I, and I, and then in my head, then I'm going, is that just what you've got to do? Is that just one shot that came up because I had no fear and no regrets about what I was going to try? Um, yeah. And I, I just launched one down there. And, you know, after nine holes, my scorecard was looking quite impressive on the turn. We got some beers from the clubhouse and took them on the back nine. Happy days. And then what? And Gradual on the descent. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jamie, I'll, I'll ask I'll ask you a question because there was a, a method in the madness of you know sort of getting Chris to tap into that Barn Boogle experience. And as I said, yeah. I, I just have. There's no competitions at Barn Boogle. It's you know you play off, you choose your colour of tees, you just do what you want. And there's there's not a daily competition. You're not playing with your handicap. So it's that type of environment. And exactly as Chris described it. But in that description, he mentioned. I hit my, I go to, uh, is it Latrobe or Easton? Easton, sorry. Easton. Easton, yeah. I hit my balls and then I go to the first tee and it could be totally different. Yeah. And and that's, I think yeah. that's sort of more more normal for us. But, you know, you have this experience down there at this course, which is really hard. And then you can have, play play with this freedom. It's really interesting. What do you think? Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, it, it, Smithy brought up a couple of really key points that we've discussed on this podcast since the very first episode around expectation management, that, uh, that, that ego and ability. But also when you go to a place like Barn Boogle, you've got a golf trip at a fantastic, you know, environment, your golf performance almost becomes secondary and the gratitude around being there and just enjoying the opportunity and the experience becomes the highlight and the priority. So then our expectations on outcome can be, can be managed a lot better until you get to that point where you go through the nine holes and you've got a good score going and then things can shift. Their own expectation on outcomes actually starts to get to the, to the top of the list of priorities. And then that's the thing I'm interested to unpack is, how things happen on the second one, because we know that's not really, when I say it's a false economy, it's a false environment. It's You don't have the scorecard in your back. You're not playing for a handicap. Like you're not at your, your local club where there are that pressure and expectation. It, it's just this really beautiful heavenly environment where you can just play golf and not worry about the outcome. So Smithy, at the turn when you go in, grab a couple of beers and you probably start to project or hope for a good outcome or a good result. What was some of that thinking like? Did you put any expectation on yourself? And if so, what did you notice happened to your performance? Oh, I, I don't necessarily think I put too much expectation on myself. I was still having such a great time and I still felt completely relaxed. But I always, in my mind, was definitely a case of you scored quite well on the front nine. I think I was, I think I was one over turning on the front nine, which was phenomenal for me. But then the second half, I thought, right, there, there was definitely one or two internal thoughts. It wasn't too much, but it was like, let's just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going for the shot if it's there. Then I, I wasn't going to start trying to secure this wonderful first nine scorecard yeah. and, and jeopardize the back nine. And there's a couple of tried and tested um, long cut path long par threes and a couple of shorter par fours, which really make you think about your shot selection. And 
and once again, I just went for those shots and I missed minimally. So I, I was so, I was this far away from having a wonderful back nine as well as a wonderful front nine. Yeah. But of course, a miss like that, you can see yeah. you in grass this long and there goes your ball. But uh, in, in terms of my thought process, I just kind of had in my head, I want to continue enjoying this as much as I possibly can. And if yeah. that's the jeopardy of a wonderful scorecard, then so be it. But yeah. I'm not going to walk away from this experience having thought, what if I would have tried that? What if I would have gone for that shot? Like, what if I would have really, you know, yeah. committed to it? Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of where I went. Because are you, are you one of those golfers that um, you don't play for that, that one shot or that one story at the end of the round, but if there, is, if there is something to take on where you can reach a par five in two and have a chance at eagle, like that's why you play. You play for those opportunities. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I, I go for that wonderful glory shot that does definitely keep me coming back. Yeah. And I will, I will always try that, you know, unless I'm really, really stuck. There's, there's a part of my DNA which sits there and go, what would Tiger do? You know, because I, I believe we're on the same skill level. What would Tiger do? <laughs> and, 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 and then I just go, well, he's going to go for it, of course. Of course he's going to go for it. Yeah, and, and that's what I try. I, I know I'm playing in a, a daily, weekly competition, which gets you three balls if you win it. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I'm, I'm not playing for anything substantial. Yeah. So I'm going to really want to enjoy my golf, and I'm going to really want to test myself and try. Am I capable of that shot? Nine times out of ten, I'm not, because yeah. I'm not a player that has one had lessons or two gone to the range and practice all of these things like I should. Yeah, I believe if I'm going to have time to go to a range. I can make it a more realistic um, scenario for myself and play nine holes yeah, or, or seven holes or, or, yeah. or whatever. I just, for me in my mindset, I don't understand the process of going to the range and hitting an eight iron 30, 35 times one after the other. Yeah. When I go to a tee box and that's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But I, I like to keep everything in terms of practice as much game related as I possibly can. Yeah. And that's a really like, even Roscoe, like hearing Smithy say that, you know, he he's come from an elite sporting background and even for him, like standing on a range and hitting 48 irons doesn't make sense because you never in your life will ever do that on a golf course. So you're, you're you know, in part probably wasting your time. And so that's a really interesting point that someone like Smithy makes. And, um, yeah, I think it's – do you – your golf identity, like when you choose one of those shots where it's nine out of 10 times you're going to fail, do you have that pre, I suppose, that that level of acceptance for the negative outcome before you actually go in to execute the shot? I'm always, um, <clears throat> I, I've always been like this throughout the later part of my life. I've always dealt with whatever area of work this is, I've always dealt with so much insecurities in my life, in my ability and, and, and so many different things. But since I've gotten older and I've started mature a little bit more, um, I've started to become less of a, what if it doesn't happen and more of a, what if it does? Yep. So instead, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot less of, what if the shot doesn't come off? Now I'm, I'm going, but what if it does? Do you know what I mean? I've, I've always got that good argument that I can thrust forward. Yeah, uh, and, and then it's just about thoroughly. In my head, it's about thoroughly believing that I'm capable of the shot, and then, and then, of course, accessing yeah. that part of my brain which fundamentally ruins my swing usually. 
<laughs> and I think that's a that's such a great like just a little bit of a nugget there for me with what you said around because most other people do the opposite. What if it doesn't come off? And then they stay stuck in that state of doubt and fear and worry where being able to just snap out of that and have that other conversation and then ultimately step in to perform because I know as I said at the start how you know there are certain aspects of your mindset and the way your mind functions I really love where it's around I won't say risk taking or being a gambler but it's about having having a sense of the unknown but being able to commit to a positive outcome with their with their so much unknown um, and, you know, you've, you, your career and everything that you, you've sort of gone through, there is that element of the unknown, you know, the way that you've managed it, handled it and, and approach a golf game the same way. I think there's a lot for all of us to learn around that. So I, I was just going to say, James, you know, to me, you know, I always have moments of realisation and, and we've talked about a lot of stuff over the journey of the podcast, but, you know, that whole stepping into commitment that what if I can't? And I think, 99.9% of everyday club golfers that we talk to, you know, we'll have that what if I can't. But you just hear Chris say, well, what if I can? And yeah. immediately there's this attitudinal mindset shift that, and I think if everyone just adopted that, you know, accepting that fear of failure, but then, then approaching it, well, mate, what if I can? And, and tapping into that, that's great. I think that's, I think a lot of that has come from the fact, Roscoe, that I've always, over the years and years and years, doubted myself. Walking down the cut, walking on this, I can't do that. I did. You know, being on television, I can't do that. I did. Mm. Started my own business. I can't do that. I did. I think it's all, all all of that mental DNA has come from the fact that I've always doubted myself for so long until I achieved it. That now it's I'm thinking, well, you doubted yourself then, 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 and then. And you came through and you succeeded. So I'm trying to channel all of that into pretty much everything I do. And I've done some things where I didn't succeed, but that's okay. But I've learned from that. And now I'm trying to channel everything into not telling myself so much that I can't because I've proven to myself over the years that I can't. Um, so at the start... Maybe slightly different. At the start, I, I, you know, I, I joked and said, you know, let's be honest, you know, you, you've got your kid off in front of people, which, you know, on the full Monty you did. You know, my, my wife watched that with uh, a great degree of um, excitement. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting her to barge in, actually. I told her, I, told her, I said, <laughs> we're speaking to Chris Smith. And she went, no, you're not. I said, yeah, we are actually. I'm expecting it to barge in. Um, but, uh, you know, what was that fear like? Was there was it fear? How do you describe that, you know, talking about your career and walking down the catwalk and doing all of that other great stuff that you've done? And then the first tee nerves, you know, like how, yeah. do, you, how do you do that and then, then still have first tee nerves? Oh, look, I, I have nerves. I'm quite anxious in, in many of the things that I do. I have, um, I have a lot of nerves coming on. This was a lot, I feel a lot more relaxed about coming on here than I would going on about television, talking about other things that I'm endorsing or promoting or my own gym even. And, and getting your kid off in front of people was, it's a different kind of nerves because that's more of my insecurities in myself and my body and everything else that I've had from being a young kid. And uh, the, the golf, I, I think... The first team nerves is, I think that's more my ego than it is my insecurities. I think, you know, uh, being a guy and having an ego of, you're a big lad, you know, people expect you to hit the ball a long way, so you've got to live up to the expectation of people thinking that you could smash the ball right down the middle of the fairway. And then you over-try, you over-commit, and generally for me, that's where it goes wrong. 
So I, I think my nerves are more that if I can tap into that and be more there for myself for the first tee and not about the old fellas who are watching me that probably don't even know my name. You know what I mean? If I could be there more for myself and less for them, then, then maybe they would go. Because that's a question that I wanted to ask, which I've, you know, again, been lucky enough to work with a lot of successful people outside of golf, um, you know, doctors, lawyers, really high-profile people in that regard who then come to golf. And there seems to be this connection, in their mind anyway, their connection between how they play golf and who they are professionally. It's like their identity of who they are professionally is determined and dependent upon how well they play golf. So, which obviously logically doesn't make any sense at all, but that's just the way we approach golf. Um, do you fall into that category or have fallen into that category at all where you might perceive that the way you play golf, people are going to view you, you know, personally and professionally in a different light or, or you've been able to separate that completely? Strangely, I do. I think I do. I think I fall in the guilty category of that selection, um, yes. which is quite which is quite bizarre because there's other parts of my life where I don't feel that way, but golf, I feel like I really do. And maybe it's because I feel that, um, although I haven't played overly many rounds of golf throughout my life, I've been playing it for, in my head, long enough that I should be a lot better than I am. And maybe this comes back down to a childhood. When I played, started playing rugby league, I didn't pick rugby league up until I was 14. I signed professional at 15. So I was playing the game for eight months before I signed a professional contract. And one of the biggest contracts in the UK at the time for a kid my age. But I was also playing soccer for a short time. And I got offered contracts from soccer teams. So, and I play pool. And I pick it up quite easily. So maybe for me, it's internally the fact that everything that I've done throughout my career sporting-wise, I've picked up very quickly. Golf, I haven't. Golf is one of those things where because I've excelled so quickly and so well in other areas of my sporting career, I believe I should do the same in this, but it's, it's far from that. And, and, and golf, I've, I've learned to kind of bow down to golf a lot more because it's teaching me every single round that I play something new, something different, something that I love and something that I hate so much. So it's not just a, a one-dimensional thought process of golf. There's so many things that align in your swing, your DNA, your thought process, your preparation that have to all click in order for you to have such a wonderful, enjoyable round of golf. So like you said before, I went out cycling on my bike and I need two knee replacements. So I know that I'm not going to keep up with the guys that ride up and down Beach Road here in Melbourne. I know I'm not going to keep up with that. And I've accepted that fact and I'm comfortable with that fact. Yeah. And I'm comfortable that Sandra around the corner is going to sail past me while having a conversation with Doris. And it's like, they're not even breathing. <laughs> you know what I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm breathing out of every orifice that I have. But you know what I mean? <laughs> These two are sailing past me on what may be electric bikes. I've never actually caught them up to find out. <laughs> uh, and, and, they're, and they're just having a conversation with one another while they're riding past don't me. You, <laughs> don't you love his ego had to put in there that, that, that Doris is on an electric bike? I love his ego had to put that in there. That is sensational. Um, oh, no, there's, there's, there's been a few around here that have found guilty of that. I'm actually going to get off land and try and source one myself because I'm, I'm sick of this. Uh, it's sensational. But I think, again, what you know, Smitty says around uh, his, his acceptance or understanding of golf, how there is so many moving parts and, and there's so many different facets that need to be 
performing well for you to have a great outcome. Just, you know, again, just sort of we talk a lot about that psychological flexibility about not being rigid with how things have to be or else, um, which is, you know, a great way to help diffuse that anxiety or stress or pressure. And do you, and I'm going to probably already analyse you and, and probably have the answer, but from a goals point of view, setting your golf goals, you've been playing a little bit more now that you're down in Melbourne and, and, and obviously with the kids, you know, you've been trying to play a bit more, uh, make it a bit more of a priority, say, the last six or nine months. Do you have any golf goals? Look, I think a, a very um, an, an unrealistic golf goal would always be for me to get to scratch. But that's going to be impossible without putting in the time, the effort, the practice range, the commitment. Um, I don't quite have that pleasure just yet. Maybe in a couple of years when the two girls go to school, that would be an ideal for me. Do you know, my what's wife wouldn't see cap at the moment. 6.4. So my wife wouldn't see me if that was the case. If I had, if I had between nine and three thirty to be out there yeah. in golf and playing golf and hitting balls and, 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 I suppose getting lessons, yeah. then that, that's, that's probably where I would be. But I suppose a realistic goal for me right now, because my handicap has gone from 4 to 6.4, mm-hmm. ever since the more golf I play, the more complex I make it in my head. Yeah. And instead of perfecting the skills that I have in golf, I'm always trying to add. Yeah. And I fall in the category of sometimes midway through a round of golf, changing my swing because I believe, well, oh, I've got to do this to hit the draw. And then in comes ambition and ability, the mix up. Yeah. I'm thinking, uh, uh, you know, around confronted with the dog leg, right. So all I've got to do is put my left foot slightly in front of the right one. I'll hit the fade around the trees. Easy as that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then some of my, sometimes my lack of fear becomes somewhat cocky, I suppose. Yeah, first we try in these shots, which which yeah. which again would, would affect the. Yeah, for sure, and I think too, like the thing I love about, and whether whether Smithy knows this or not, but um, Smithy's relationship with golf, he loves it. He's very competitive. Setting a goal could actually be quite unhealthy for him, and unhealthy for his relationship with golf because he's. He's a, he's got an addictive personality. Would you agree with that? Most definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Good. Um, so if he sets a goal and he activates that competitiveness and he activates that addictive personality, then he's going to get consumed, absorbed, and just as he says, overcomplicate, overanalyze. But at the moment, where his number one reason or his why he's playing golf is 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 really healthy. He loves the game. He loves to compete, challenge himself, learn new facets of of the game and also new facets of himself without triggering that addictive uh, competitive personality too much. So you you mentioned something earlier before the podcast, we were having a chat and uh, you said about, you know, the day before you play a comp round or the night before you play, play a comp round, talk to us about that process for you preparing for a round of golf. Yeah, look, it, it shouldn't, be as mentally draining on me as it is uh, because I do think in excess of it and then I think of past mistakes and I go okay well you don't swing like that and then I've got the golf net out in the back garden and then I'll go out there and I'll hit some balls into the net 
And I think, so this is how your swing player needs to be. This is, this is your swing pattern. This is how it needs to go. Uh, and then I'll think about that. And then I'll, I'll get in bed when every other thought is quiet. There's nothing to distract me. There's no kids. There's no TV. And I'll think about it over and over and over and over again. And then I'll wake up in the morning with such a, um, an, a, such a, such an excitement that I can't wait to get out the door. I might not be teeing off till 9.30, but I want to be in the car at 6. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I really enjoy it that much. So I think what may work better for me is if I can calm those thoughts at night, if I can calm those thoughts in the morning and potentially turn up to a round of golf with no expectations of what I'm going to do, no expectations on how I'm going to shoot. Um, not putting the pressure on me to be better than I was last week because it yeah. may not always happen this way. Uh, so I, I think about it a lot. And since you and I had a brief conversation last night, I started thinking about it again. <laughs> I started thinking about my golf. I might have been playing today, but I started thinking about shot selections and and and, and maybe dropping you know, the, the big macho image of I've got 155 out, but I'm slightly downhill, so I'll hit a 9-iron. You know, things like this. Yeah. Just, yeah. just be a bit smarter. So, I'll, think- I'll, can I ask a question then? So, when if you go back to immediately thinking about Bamboogle, and mm. you know had to sum up some of the the nice sort of thoughts that you had there, what would you? How would you describe those thoughts when you were playing golf at Bamboogle and hitting those nice shots? Is I it- think I think those were just like Jamie stated before, and I'd never really put it into that category, or I'd never thought too much of why I'm feeling like this. But there was such an element of gratitude. You know, I was I was down there for a watch event initially from Wednesday to Friday. And then my time started Friday to Monday with the lads meant to be coming down. And uh, I, I just felt from after playing day one and just knowing that I had no other commitments in my life, Sarah, my partner, she said to me, go down there, enjoy your time, spend as much as you want. doesn't matter. Play as much as you want. It's totally all right. So I had that support from her. I knew I didn't have to rush out of the house and rush back home to get back to the kids. I had just this complete and utter range of freedom, which you don't necessarily get from a round of golf. There's always somewhere you're thinking you've got to be back for afterwards. But I just felt so free and so alive. And I'm so relaxed. It is it's such a wonderful environment down there. Now you've got the ocean there and the course layout, and the undulations of the green and the fog that clears in the morning. It's just puts you through in such a wonderful headspace that if I could play there every day of my life. And I spoke to, did you meet Roscoe down there in the uh, pro shop? Yeah, briefly, but not. I didn't have an extended chat with him, but he's legendary in golf uh, in any part of Australia, absolutely. Roscoe's an absolute character. I've known him for a while, and, 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 and he just makes it so, so much more appealing too. I, I, and, I, and I had a many thought conversations. I sat upstairs in the restaurant overlooking part of the course in the ocean. And every morning I'm thinking, does this ever, ever get old? Would this course ever get boring? Would this course not like ever really? Uh, and the answer was no. So mm-hmm. I would go out and I would play Lost Farm. And then I'd come back in, I'd have a bite to it, and I'd either play Lost Farm again or I'd play Barn Bugle Run, which has just been open for about a month. And just happiest I've ever been. Well, I was just going to say, because you echo the thought, thoughts and sentiment that I came back with, and, and for me, the takeouts were... I have to apply that to my normal weekly round of golf 
to try and get my handicap to whatever it is and have more of that line of thought than this type of thoughts that we were talking about and, and articulating before. You know, mm. So, Jamie, does that, you know, that's just my personal alignment, but what do you think when you hear us talking like that about that place and how it affected us and then how that can apply to everyday oh. golf or everyday golfers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone through it for years with clients. They'll have, you know, they'll have their best round of golf and we'll debrief it. And they said, oh, look, you know, I had a, I had a six-week holiday to Europe planned for next week and I went to golf and I wasn't even thinking about golf. It didn't matter because I'm about to embark on this great adventure over into Europe. And it's like whenever we activate that mindset of golf, the, the, the performance, the score today is actually secondary or even way down the chain of importance and we – we prioritize, you know, the, the, the gratitude component, as Smithy said, we're going to play better. We're going to perform better. And as we've said in the, in the you know, the pre-round routine course on Insight, uh, Roscoe, and we've spoken about it here, like get to the golf course and instead of hitting balls on the range, why don't you just sit down, have a coffee or a tea, chill out and quieten your thoughts, get yourself detached from life outside of golf and just get yourself ready to enjoy the next four and a half hours on a beautiful golf course that's way more beneficial to your performance as a club level golfer than it is hitting 50 balls 100 balls on the range trying to find your swing and that continues to come up and and, and you know come up in smithy's conversation just around the way he likes to you know prepare for golf and and, and maybe at east and sometimes he might fall into that habit of getting to the range and He's not transitioning that relaxed, calm state of mind to the first tee. And but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, that gratitude component we've spoken a lot about, which is, you know, for me, I think it's one of the most powerful human sort of emotional states we can access. Chris, when you said that, uh, you know, Sarah sent you off, you know, she's, you know, you're leaving home and your partner and your family for, you know, three or four days, and she said, you know, go down there, relax, have a great time. Mm. Imagine, imagine if we had that mindset and that approach, you know, relax, you've got six hours, I'll see you when you're back, spend that six hours at the golf course and it's your time and no one else's time. And if we had that sort of approach to our golf, I think we'd be, you know, achieving this state of calmness that Jamie just articulated much easier rather than the, the busyness of everything around it. Now, it's easy for, you know, not easy sometimes to shut that out, but, you know, you've got to, you go to the golf course, that, there's nothing else that you can do. So, um, yeah. yeah, that was, that was, you know, listening to you think, talk like that made me think that's, that's I think for, for me, Roscoe, that what you just talked about, about getting permission, I think for, for a lot of us and me specifically over the last couple of years is giving myself permission, hmm. you know, because I'll go to golf and Smithy, we used to have this wellness Wednesday at Peninsula with Roscoe Shuri used to, um, used to come Wednesday morning, wellness Wednesday, but my God, you know, within two holes, we're all frustrated and anxious and, you know, angry and whatever else. But for me, I wasn't allowing myself the permission to go and spend half a day playing golf because I had so many things I had to do um, that I felt were more of a priority. But after a while, we just uncover the fact that this is good for my mental health. Me going to spend half a day on a golf course is so good for my overall health and well-being. I need to invest the time in that so I can be better in everything else I do outside of that. So you brought that up earlier about golf playing such a pivotal part in your life now. Can you explain the impact that it has on you as a, as a partner, as a father, um, just you personally? Uh, firstly, I'd like to say I hope Sarah's not listening to this podcast because Roscoe, I've told her it takes 10 hours, <laughs> not six. Uh, <laughs> I, got, 
I, I got to drive an hour to east and then an hour back because I, I, I can literally see Royal Melbourne from my backyard. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong club. But it's, um, I, and, and I think subconsciously, I didn't even notice how it made me feel. I just knew I had really enjoyed being there, but I never knew that that energy kind of projected to my home life too. And it was Sarah that pointed it out to me. So I think there was a lot of guilt from myself. Like you say that, you know, we've got two young kids under two. We have no family here to help us. They're not in daycare. So they're with us 24 seven. And Sarah has clients on a Tuesday and a Thursday and sometimes a Friday. So then I felt selfishly, I booked golfing for me on Monday and Wednesday or Monday and Saturday. And I'm like, well, that's just selfish because she's working this whole time while I'm looking after the kids. And then as soon as it's not, bang, I'm gone. So in, in my head, I was also, I, I had a, such a level of guilt that yes, I probably needed to relieve that from myself and say, look, this is good for me. Cause it really is. Cause like, I've never, that thought struggled with anxiety and depression until these lockdowns happen. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling like I'm not providing enough. I'm not out working. I'm not out making the money to provide and look after my family. And I'm feeling kind of low and, and slipping into these stages. And a lot of the time, golf dragged me out of that too. You know, just, just Absolutely. having that one thing to look forward that I could go out and get in the fresh air. And I don't know if you've played it, Eastern Roscoe. It's, it's beautiful. 27 hole, Greg Norman designed out in the Yarra Valley. It's complete. What I fell in love with that and the reason I drive an hour there and an hour back to it is because I literally fell in love with the place as soon as I got there. Kangaroos skipping around. You don't see a house. You don't hear any traffic except helicopters or private planes flying over, maybe. And it was completely and utterly removed from what had become a bit of a dogfight in and out of lockdown or, or whatever's going on in your life. I just found getting in that car, listening to a nice podcast, getting to the course really, really made me in a, in a beautiful state of mind. And then when I got home, Sarah picks up and as well, she went, you're so happy when you come home, like you're so more, so much more present. You know, you're not looking at emails in your phone. You're not looking at what you have to do. You're like, you're present. You're with the kid. And maybe there was a level of guilt in that. The fact that I've been away all day. So I had to come and just over parent or, or be yeah. over present. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that was it. But I really like the way you've said that, Jamie, the fact that I should allow myself because it, because it is good for my mental health. It's good for my state. And it's also, now I've found good for my parenting skills. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just such an interesting one. I think the, you know, the pressures and stresses that we all live under these days um, and golf being one of those sports and games that just allows us the time to breathe and think and uh, time in between shots to, to, you know, interact with our playing partners. It is such a great sport for our overall health and well-being, providing we can manage some of the other mental elements, the expectation management, all those sorts of things. But you know, Roscoe and I have spoken about my relationship with golf the last couple of years has been I, I haven't had a positive relationship with my own game of golf with playing. And it was Saturday morning, just last Saturday, I decided to go to KDV and practice, just hit some balls. And I want to try and find a love back for the game because I I know I need it for my own health and well-being. And um, I was there for like an hour and a half and I, it was so meditative. I could sit on the balcony out here and do a meditation session, but this is 10 times better for me, a hundred times better for me. And um, yeah, I think that the game for, for, you know, all of us that are playing at the moment and, 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 and managing the stresses, I, I think it's just such a positive 
uh, part of all of our lives and, and it makes us better people and it trains us to be present and, and, and appreciate and be grateful. And if we can transfer that into our home life and work life, then I think, you know, uh, our, our, our environments are going to be, you know, going to be a lot better. So, mate, I think, you know, one of the last things I sort of want to just touch on and tap into is, you know, we, we put a post up on the fi- private Facebook group uh, yesterday about Naomi Osaka, the tennis player who was struggling with some anxiety and didn't want to do some press conferences. And then yesterday withdrew. Mental health is a very, very big part of our society these days. Um, and, you know, you've spoken a lot about sort of, you know, your, your anxiety, your depression, some of the fear and doubt that you've had throughout your life. What part uh, does mental health play in your life um, and how are you managing dealing with it on top of it? Like, how does that look for you? Um, yeah, for me, it, it, it's played a long part. <clears throat> and it's only quite recently that I, I suppose, sat and thought about how much it has affected my life right throughout. And I always pushed it aside because thinking, oh, I'm not depressed. I'm, I'm not anxious. I'm all right. It's fine. This thing doesn't happen to me kind of thing. Um, I've always been kind of strong mentally in my head that anything that's happened through my life, yeah, I suppose you could call it strong, could call it stupid. Anything that's happened in my life, I've dealt with internally. And I think I've finally found the right partner in Sarah now that I've opened up and told her a few things. And like she's been caring and listened. And the fact that I've spoke about it more has just relieved this enormous weight. And, you know, credit to Naomi Osaka and credit to Ryan Garcia from boxing as well. He's recently took a step back to very young kids. He's 21, 22. She's very early 20s also. And the amount of pressure and stress that's put on them, and especially in this term, Ryan Garcia, with, with, with his social media following, the amount of stress and pressure that's put on them, I think it's extremely brave and absolutely incredible that they've came out and opened that. That's, that's going to set a path for a lot of young people that are kind of struggling the same way. So although it's very bad in the regards what they're going through, I think it's absolutely incredible the fact that they've had the nerve and, and the passion and the power to open up and, and, and expose themselves to it. For me, it was a pretty similar thing. I, I had a good chat with Sarah about a few things, and I said, darling, I need... And I think that's one of the reasons she was so understanding about my time in Bambiugum and how much it meant to me. And, you know, we've had businesses that have collapsed through COVID. So financially, we weren't in a very good position for me to be there, but she's just said, spend what you need, do what you got to do, and I'll see you when you get back. Yeah. And, you know, and she kept these beautiful daily updates of the girls FaceTiming me when I'm out on the course. And Mila screamed at me, Dada, golf, Dada, golf. Said, yes, darling, Dada, golf. Dada, <laughs> yeah. golf again? Dada, golf again. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, that, that, there's all those little things that, that uh, just made it okay for me to be there. But, yeah, you're right. I was yeah. I needed more of my own position and less of someone else's. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's great, mate. And I think um... – yeah, I definitely think that, you know, the awareness that's being put around mental health uh, is is uh, hopefully it's only at the beginning and, and, and the ability to be able to communicate and, and communicate in a way of uh, making sure we're in an environment where we're not judging people. And this is about the, the, the post we put up on, on the private Facebook group was all about people having differing opinions of, of Naomi Osaka and not wanting to, to do media. Like, yeah, there were some differing opinions, but as long as we're listening to different opinions and not judging people for 
you know, their actions or behaviors because we don't know, you know, we don't know what people are going through. Um, so, but I think, you know, creating that environment um, of communication, openness, understanding, and, uh, and no judgment is, is, is really important. So, um, can I ask a question, Chris? You're one of the most recognizable, you know, faces in Australia. And I can imagine, you know, the drain on, drain's not the right word, but, you know, you get asked to do and participate in a lot of different things. You know, you're, to me, appear fairly giving of your time to a lot of great causes. How, how important is, you know, your time and giving your time to the right causes to you? And, and, and how does that, I guess, drive you or motivate you or, or, you know, make you feel in terms of life and then therefore, you know, dealing with what we've been talking about? I, I think first, Roscoe, it's just being incredibly aware and incredibly grateful of the position that I've been thrust into in many ways and the kind of position that I've worked hard to get myself in. But... I think with that comes a responsibility to give back. And and if I find the right charity organization, mental health organization, whatever it may be, and I, I fully believe in what they're trying to achieve, then yeah, they can, they can have all of me. And, you know, as providing I've got the time and, and everything else to do that. But I think it's incredibly important because there's so many great organizations out there that fly under the radar and, a lot of the big organizations with a lot of corporate backing or a lot of corporate funding get um, a lot more recognition than the smaller ones. So I, I do try and make it a lot more of a, um, a personal opinion and a personal choice of which one that I choose to work with. And, you know, there's so many that pull on the heartstrings and having felt anxious at times and somewhat depressed at times, I think that that's a, a big key for me. Um, and then, then the children's, like I do a lot of work with um, the Challenge Foundation, kids and families with cancer. And it becomes extremely hard when you have children of your own to think of families that have to go through what some people are going through and put a smile on their face. So um, the difference that that makes, if I can give it a little bit of my, my time or give a little bit of something that I've earned or worked for, just, just the situations like that, then... It's it's worth its absolute weight in gold. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, love it. I can I can see you know from watching afar. We've never met before, you know, you and I. But I, from watching afar, and you know, we have had a little bit of a, a link there. I, I was uh, at Infinity Cars, and I think you were driving an Infinity car there for a while. So, um, and and right. I remember you did one wonderful thing for one of the staff. You recorded a personal video for her, and uh, they played that at her twenty first birthday. And uh, you made her, her family, and all of the friends there very very happy. Um, doing that so you know we've sort of crossed paths in the car space before but uh yeah that's i think roscoe too yeah. like people will see smitty and, and he's got this persona and all that sort of stuff and um you know we've been, been good mates for quite a while and spent a lot of time together and i i was his guest at uh one of the racing carnivals uh back a few years um which was which was quite an unproductive 10 days of, of my life uh racing carnival <laughs> Having a day off to recover and then going to another one. But um, the thing that blew my mind when we were at those carnivals was the amount of time he gives anyone, mm. anyone that will come up, will ask this question, want to take a photo, anything, he is open and, and available. It's, it was just phenomenal. And then, you know, after parties, you know, we're walking to the city at God knows what time in the morning and, and he's asking, someone's asking for a photo or he just gives without question and um you know a lot of people may not see that side of him but uh it's certainly um yeah i think and i think that's what's probably given me longevity in the in, in the my career that i've got mm. you know 
they, they, they could have anybody in there modeling or do whatever they want to do, but they choose me to do it. And that's been for like 13 years. So uh, I, I'm very happy with the way that I was raised by my parents. And uh, I'm very happy with the interest that I have in people and situations and stories. I love people. I love being surrounded by people. I think that's one of the things that this lockdown has been quite <clears throat> testing on everything that, that I'm about. But yeah, thank you for that, mate. I really appreciate it. I, I do love people and I love golf. And Jamie and I, like I say, have been good friends for a while. And Roscoe, we've crossed paths with Infinity. I'm, I'm still driving a Nissan, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Uh, so you're still, still within the family. The guys down there are looking uh, yeah. after you, which is good. Yeah, yeah. They look, they look after me incredibly. And i uh, forever grateful for that. And those relationships are a few and far between, so well, I'm still I'm, I'm still a Nissan driver myself. I've got the Navara truck out the front there, and uh, that gets me into the city and back every day. Have yeah. you played at? Uh, have you had a hit at PK? Have you been down there yet? I have. You have, yeah. I have. Absolutely sensational. Love it. Love the course. Love the courses. Wonderful layout. Members seem to be a lot of fun. <clears throat> I did inquire recently, actually, about a membership there. No, mm-hmm. but it's because I'm over forty. It's a little bit costly, so. I'll let that one go by the wayside. Well, I'd love to. I'd love to have a hit with you down there, uh, maybe with Shura, yourself, and myself, and uh, anyone anyone else uh, of the cohort that uh, can join us. Equally, I'd love to come out to Eastern. I've not been to Eastern and have talked about it a number of times. So, uh, anytime you want to send us an invite, uh, happy to do that. The invitation is open for you, mate. Whenever you want to go, I'm, I'm usually quite flexible because I've got a bit of a free life but if a weekend works for you or midweek works for you just let me know it's always open for you too jamie if you can ever come down to this disease-ridden place <laughs> you used to live at okay well i'll uh i'll put on pause for at least another couple of weeks but um smithy about your mental game but, tell me do you do you do any work on it do you try and read anything or is, is there anything that you you're doing on that part of the game because roscoe i think we might be able to give Smitty a couple of uh, coupons for some of the courses, get him yeah. to, to delve into, and then we might get him back uh, when he's done a bit of training and a bit of sort of research and go, hey, what did you learn? What did you notice? Um, is there much that you do in that space at the moment? In terms of uh, I've just started meditating. Yeah. Never done that before. Never. I've got a very short attention span. If something doesn't grab my attention quite quickly, I drift off. I've, yeah. I've always been the same way. Um, yeah. But I've just started meditating uh, this morning, yesterday, yeah. last night. Yeah. Wonderful things. And, and I feel situations like that really help me. But yeah. in terms of my mental game in regards to golf, no. I, I'm a lot more pleasant to play with than I used to be. Yeah. I used to, I used to snap one or two clubs and one would be seen boomeranging its way through the air. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, and that was just purely my frustration that I picked up a sport that I can't play instantly. No, and, and, and that was all part of my lesson of golf. But yeah, I, I think in terms of my mental game of golf, no, nothing really much. But in terms of my mental health overall, the meditation and the and the daily get out to walk down the beach or just sit and reflect on everything that surrounds me, I've achieved myself. You know, the, that that instant gratitude, that that pat on the back for myself has been, yeah. Pretty good. And I still follow the rules that you gave me probably six, seven years ago. You know, each night before you go to bed, give yourself five to 10 things that you've done well. Yeah. And it could be something so minimal, something major. Yeah. And give yourself five things you would do differently. Not that you've done wrong, that you would do differently. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's part of the Jamie Glazier magic. And, uh, yeah. and, and I just found going, going to bed at night, 
with a correct mindset and giving yourself that pat on the back and, and acknowledging yourself as yeah. genuinely being a good human, then that, that's helped me as well. So once right. again, thanks for that. Well, we'll set you up. We'll set you up with uh, some of the courses that Jamie has produced and very simple uh, video content that will help a lot of the things that we've talked about today, especially that pre-round routine. That's probably going to be a very interesting one for you to have a look at those videos and just work through some of that. Easy to do, computer, phone, and anyone can jump in and, and do those. They're on Insight Golf Academy, yep. and you can find that easy peasy. Yeah, great. Jamie, awesome. I think uh, I think we've been Thanks. very very lucky to keep Chris's attention for fifty seven minutes. <laughs> I think, I yeah, that's, that's, is that a record? That's good. <laughs> If, it, if this was my missus talking about the upcoming wedding that we've got, she'd have lost me about fifty-three <laughs> minutes ago. That's nah, golf. His attention levels—he's a liar. I've seen him in front of a TV on a Saturday afternoon with a few beers, watching the races for days, like <laughs> six oh, hours straight. Yeah, yeah, you see, that's that's different. That's 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 a that's a, a gambling addiction problem. It was sort of a, <laughs> and, and that's what comes back, to, and that's what comes back to. What if it doesn't happen? What if the shot doesn't happen? But what if it does? And then what if the 10 to 1 shot doesn't win? But what, what if, if it does? does? <laughs> you know? I love you it. about the losses. Uh, oh, I love it. No, mate, look, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, I can't wait to get back out on the course with you soon. And, um, yeah, no, I really appreciate your time. I'll flick you a coupon for this Inside Academy uh, course. Great. We'll get training and then we'll get you to jump on again sometime down the track and talk about your learnings and, um, and go from there. But, uh, mate... Good to have you on. Really appreciate it. Smile, fellas. There you go. Wonderful. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.